0: Brethren, my text today is from that same portion of Scripture we just read in the Lectio Continuum, Matthew chapter one. The text is verses 20 through 23. However, I'll be reading 18 through 25, and then I'll also be reading a portion of Isaiah's prophecy, chapter seven, verses 10 through 15. Before I do that, I want to draw your attention back to the last hymn that we we sang of the Father's love begotten. This hymn is an ancient hymn in the church. It was written in the 4th century, um, set to music throughout the centuries of the church uh, with different uh, uh, composers. But I want to remind us of some of the words that are here that speak to the advent of our Savior. Verse 2, O that birth forever blessed, when the Virgin full of grace by the Holy Ghost conceiving born bore the savior of our race and the babe the world's redeemer first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore this is he whom heaven taught singers sang of old with one of cord, of whom the scriptures of the prophets promised in their faithful word now he shines the long expected let creation praise the lord evermore and evermore O ye heights of heaven, adore him. Angel hosts, his praises sing. All dominions bow before him and extol our God and King. Let no tongue on earth be silent. Every voice in concert ring. Evermore and evermore. These are the the thoughts that come to us in the midst of this Advent season, I'm sorry I get emotional, but these are things that are so important to our faith and should be so important to us. Often we sing past them, not not thinking about what we're singing, but these are words that are so very important. These are expressions of who we are as a people, the people of God. And today I want us to, to consider once again the Advent of Christ, the... Brethren, this is the hardest thing for pastors to do is to preach on the same text every year or virtually the same text every year and and bring something refreshing to the congregation. But as I prepared the sermon this week, I was thinking, you know what, I'm not supposed to bring something new and refreshing. I'm supposed to bring what is old and true and remind us of that because we are a forgetful sort of people. Just like Israel in the Old Testament, God's over and over saying... Don't you remember what I did for you? I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and uh, I gave you deliverance. Well, uh, we need to come back to these portions of the scripture that are just as important to us. Uh, uh, Jesus came to this earth to to save sinners, and that's what we're going to learn about today. Okay, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Here, once again, the very words of God. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. And now from Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, "'Hear now, O house of David, "'it is a small thing for you to weary men, "'but will you weary my God also? "'Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. "'Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, "'and shall call his name Emmanuel. "'Curds and honey he shall eat, "'that he may know to refuse the evil.' and choose the good. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to your word once again on this Advent Sunday, it is with gratitude in our hearts that we remember Jesus, your only begotten Son, in obedience to your will, became a man, was born of a virgin, grew as a young child into a young man. He then ministered on earth to a covenanted people who were far from you, calling them back to their covenantal promises and creating a new covenant, one that included the Gentiles with the Jews. He purchased that covenant with His own blood on the cross, making making it effectual unto us. And He rose the third day that we might be made just In your eyes, Father, it is His work that brought about our justification, and we are most grateful. We cast our cares on Him with faith, trusting alone in His sacrifice on our behalf to be sufficient for our salvation. And so, Father, we pray that this day we would honor Him as we think about His coming to the earth. Help us to be faithful. To him, because he was faithful to you. And we ask these things and pray them in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And amen. Well, we've come to that time of year when we give pause to celebrate the incarnation, the advent of Jesus, when the world over recognizes that God became a man and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace in truth, as John writes in his gospel. We mortals have been shown a great light. The light of divinity has graced us with his presence in this most profound way. Emmanuel, the scriptures say, God with us. That one name, Emmanuel, given by God himself to describe the incarnation, is forever attached to to the name the angel instructs Joseph to give to the Son, the Son soon to be born by his betrothed wife Mary. That Son's name shall be Yeshua, Jesus, which is to say, Yah is Savior, or God is Savior. Truly, this is a new and glorious morn, as I've entitled the sermon today from one of our great Christmas carols. God has come to dwell with us as Yah, the Savior, God, the Savior, in the person of Jesus Christ. Truly, this is a new and glorious morn. And these two names become much of the substance of the sermon this morning. But should we only consider those names and not the consequences of the Incarnation, we shall miss the very importance of the advent of Jesus Christ. His names compel us to consider the importance of His coming. So let's consider those two names. And then in light of those names, consider the consequences of Christ's coming. We're going to begin where the Scriptures begin with the first name Yeshua, Yah, the Savior, or Jesus as we know it from the Greek. Beginning in verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, Now, we are regularly blessed to have children born in our congregation. Just this month, we again have had the birth of another Hobson child, who I think is in our presence, right? Yes. Amelia, and and by my count, and I hope I haven't left any out, I have a feeble mind, so I may have. By my count, correct me right away if I'm wrong. This is the third child born this year in our congregation? Is that right? Heads are nodding yes and affirmative. Good, good, I got it right. Okay. And we are looking forward to to yet our next birth. Jordan Dell is with us, right? And uh, the next birth is in a few months, and we're looking forward to that. And we are blessed as having, uh-oh, I'm, I'm seeing four. What's ne- My, yes, my feeble mind. What's that? Oh, yes, Gabe, Gabe and, and Bridget's little boy, yes. Okay, well, they're not as close by. They're only here a few times a year, so that's that's why I missed that one. Okay, as those children near their deliveries, a typical event takes place. It's time to choose a name, right? It's time to choose a name, and all all parents have gone through this this uh, circumstance, Um first of all we've got we, gotta, we hope that we we might learn which gender the child is. Some parents don't do that they wait until uh, the the day of the birth and are are surprised by that. others want to know early in the day of jesus birth. there was no way of knowing beforehand absent some uh, miraculous revelation from God, which actually happened but i 'll get to that in a minute, so uh, we are uh, we're confronted with the necessity of choosing a name. Now, I've, I had a friend in California who when he and his wife were expecting their first child, they were living in an oak tree, a tree house. Uh, they, they were hippies in the 60s. So that wasn't unusual for the hippies. They, they lived in an oak tree. They named their newborn son Oak after the tree that they lived in, Okay. So that's an unusual name. Others sometimes choose familial names. My second cousin gave one of their daughters her mother's maiden name as a middle name. And that mi- uh, maiden name was Barton Slogger. So this was, the, this was my third cousin's middle name, Barton Slogger. That would not probably have been so bad, except that her first name is Primula. And her full name is Primula Barton Slogger Cooper. So, uh, I think they call her prim, if I'm not mistaken. Well, when we consider that a name shall forever label a child, it is important that one chooses wisely, is it not? Brethren, this was not at all on Joseph's mind when the angel of the Lord visited him. He wasn't thinking about names at all. Consider where his thoughts were in verses 20 and 21. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying... Joseph wasn't thinking about names. Hadn't even crossed his mind. And the English translation of the beginning of verse 20 does not really give us a sense... Of Joseph's mindset. There is, however, a more literal translation that gives us a better understanding. The concordant literal translation reads this way. Now at his brooding over these things, a messenger of the Lord appeared to him in a trance, saying... The use of the English word brooding gives us a better understanding of Joseph's mindset. Webster's Dictionary defines brooding as moodily Or sullenly thoughtful or serious. A brooding, an embittered man, dark, somber. Those are the dictionary definitions. Brother Joseph was not happily thinking of names to give this soon to be newborn child. He was thinking of justice and mercy. How does he justly put away his betrothed wife and be merciful in doing it quietly? and not make her a public example. That's where his mind was. He's a hurt man, wanting to act in righteousness. This is exactly where God wants him. He is vulnerable, groping for understanding and wisdom. And God meets him in his vulnerability and turns his lack of understanding and vulnerability into profound joy. Think about it, Joseph is hes burdened by this thing, he's overcome by it, and yet God meets him right there. Notice what he does, Joseph, son of David, is what he says to Joseph. The messenger calls him saying, Joseph, son of David, this humble carpenter is being reminded that he comes from a royal lineage. This is probably the last thing on Joseph's mind. Yeah, I know I'm I'm from that lineage, but what does that have to do with my difficulties and my circumstance? Yet it is one of the most important aspects of this entire circumstance, that Joseph is a son of David. This child, about to be born, comes from royal lineage, both from his mother's lineage, as we see in Luke's Gospel, as well as Joseph's lineage, as we saw earlier in the reading of this chapter. This child will be born a prince. Now Joseph had no idea what gender this child would be, but what does the angel say? Do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. A prophecy has come. You're going to have... A man child in your household. Your betrothed wife is going to bear a son. And then the angel gives Joseph the name of that son that shall be born into his household Yeshua or Jesus, which means God is Savior. Moments before, Joseph's mind was on how to put away his betrothed wife who was with child. And now he is being told, your betrothed wife shall bear the God-man who shall save the world. The emotions swung so quickly. His understanding just blossomed with this revelation. Deliverance has come to Joseph. He thought he was going to have to do a very difficult thing to the woman he loved. Being a just man. He thought that's what was going to happen. He thought he would have to put Mary away. But in truth, God was working His mysterious will to perfection in these difficult circumstances. A few weeks ago, I preached on the necessity of the virgin birth. And I believe Joseph comes to grips with that very quickly. Very quickly. And this brings us to the second name. And Matthew gives us a commentary on this second name. Beginning in verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This is a reference back to that portion in Isaiah. The name Emmanuel only appears three times in all of scripture. Once in in Isaiah 7, once in Isaiah 8, and here in Matthew chapter 1. And yet this is the name that God gives his own son when he comes. Emmanuel, God with us, which is encapsulated in Yah, his savior, Jesus. This portion of the narrative this from 22 through 25 is a commentary by Matthew, the author of this particular gospel. These are not the words of the angel, but rather a commentary of Matthew. The name Emmanuel appears, as I said, only three times in the Scripture, and its meaning is made clear for us by the angel of the Lord in the person of this coming child. Jesus, God the Savior. God is with us because God the Savior has been born. The great gulf that had been fixed between us and God when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, the, the, the tree of life which they were prohibited from touching again with the, the angels standing guard, at the garden, all of that has changed. All of that has been broken down. God has come back into our world with us. God with us in the person of a Savior. The great gulf between us has been fixed. The tree, access to the tree of life has been restored. And all of this because a child is about to be born. Joseph, don't put away Mary. Don't do that. But embrace the salvation she bears for all mankind. That was what was underlying the message of the angel. Don't put her away. Take her to you as your wife. Now I'd like to draw our attention to two noteworthy things from verses 22-25. through First, it appears that that, uh, Joseph's understanding of the prophecy of Isaiah was not an obscure prophecy. It wasn't something new to him that a virgin would bear a son and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. How do we know that? I'll get to that in a few minutes. He embraces that notion that at some point, a virgin will bear a son who will be God's instrument for salvation. He believes it, As a a Jew who has been taught the prophecies of old, particularly Isaiah in this case, he embraces all of that. Joseph knew this, and his knowledge becomes faithful obedience when confronted with the reality of the angel telling him who this child is. Joseph acts on his belief. And again, I'll return to this in a few minutes. The second noteworthy item is that Joseph takes Mary to be his wife immediately. He does not wait until the child is born to make sure it is his that it is a son that's born. He acts by faith here. The Bible says right here, he takes her as his wife then when the, when the angel comes and makes this known to him. And he believes that she's going to bear a son. He has no independent way of knowing that He trusts in the revelation of God. He doesn't have an ultrasound or some other mechanical thing that we have today that sometimes is accurate, sometimes not so accurate. He has no way, but he trusts in the messenger of God, that God's message is true. He takes her as his wife and doesn't know her until after the birth of Joseph or of Jesus, but he takes her as his wife and trusts in this message. Is that how we respond to God's revelation to us? Resignation, belief, and faith? Is that how we respond? Certainly that's how we ought to respond, isn't it? We resign ourselves that God knows what He's doing, and He's revealed to, uh, to us in his, by His grace and mercy, and by faith I will act on that. I will act it out. Joseph does. He takes her as his wife. He does not wait till the child is born. No, he acts by faith and honors Mary in holy matrimony. Well, this brings us then to the consequences of these two names and this circumstance that we celebrate tomorrow. one of our, uh, one of our uh, annual uh, traditions in our house is when we before we open gifts, we read the Christmas. Account either from Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel. Typically, it's from Luke's Gospel to remind us that a great gift has been given—a profound gift. But not just not just the gift of the Son of God coming to live with us, but Yah, the Savior has come, the Deliverer, the Redeemer, and we remind ourselves of what we have in Christ Jesus. Well, let's consider the consequences of the advent of Yeshua. God the Deliverer. Things happen in history that affect us that we have no control over. They happen all the time, all around us. That We have no control over it, but yet they affect us greatly. For example, something happened 241 years ago. Anybody tell me what that was? 241 years ago? Signing of the Declaration of Independence. Okay? It's affected everybody in this room, even those who are from Canada. Okay, The signing of the Declaration of Independence, 241 years ago. Several leaders from 13 colonies in North America signed a document called the Declaration of Independence and threw off their allegiances to Great Britain and began a social experiment that has in large measure lasted until this day. Although I will say those foundations are under attack and are crumbling in in some measure. It is my hope that our God will preserve those for us. Now, those actions have affected every one of us here, as I mentioned. Every one of you has been affected by that. And those actions will affect us for the foreseeable future. We we don't live as British citizens, much to the dismay of some from Canada, but uh, we don't live as British citizens. Uh, I'll I'll explain this later to our visitors. Uh, My point is this. By comparison to those actions, what we are considering today makes those things look like paltry events. Paltry events. Children, paltry means minuscule, small. Okay? Okay? The Declaration of Independence was a paltry event compared to what we're considering today. Now, the Bible talks about two great acts that have affected all of mankind throughout all of history and will affect all mankind until the second coming of Jesus. That first act being Adam's sin and the second being the last Adam's redemptive works. Those two acts, those two kinds of acts, make the declaration look like child's play. And frankly, they are. It is. But God has done far more for us. All creation was cursed by Adam's disobedience, the first act. But in the last Adam's righteous act of dying on the cross for our redemption and rising the third day, the act of Jesus has turned back the curse that Adam brought upon all creation. The Apostle Paul describes it this way, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5. Two great acts have taken place in history that make everything else pale in comparison. And both of them are necessary for us to understand, particularly the fact that Jesus came as Yah, the Savior. We sit here today marveling at the intervention of God into history. God brought forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. God acted on behalf of sinful men to relieve them from the curse, that curse that Adam brought upon us all. God acted on our behalf, sending forth His Son. Joseph was thinking about how to put away his betrothed wife. God wanted to relieve mankind of sin and death. And He did it through the Son, Jesus. God acted in our best interest because He loved those who are unlovely. We who are sinners. God loved us when we were His enemies. He gave us His Son to bear the condemnation of our sins on the cross that we might have eternal life in Him. What was promised in the Old Testament prophets, as we've read already, as we've sung already, in the hymn of the Father's love begotten, What was promised in the Old Testament is realized in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. The word testament means covenant. There was an old covenant that promised a new covenant, and Jesus Christ brought that to fruition. And He became a man. God became a man that we might become the sons of God in Him. The God man, Yeshua, Emmanuel, has come. And tomorrow, we celebrate it again. Here is where we have and find abundant, everlasting life. In Him alone. In the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your gracious intervention on our behalf. We were far from you in sin, and Jesus brought us near. We thank you that he humbled himself, was born of a virgin, born to a, the home of a carpenter, We thank You that that metaphor is important to us. He came to build something, a new kingdom. The kingdom of the Son. The Son of the living God. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And we are so very grateful. Father, impress upon us the importance of that both today and tomorrow, and each and every day to follow. That we were far from You, but You brought us near. God came to be with us, to redeem us. A people for His own. His own special people. Peter describes it. Father, help us to have that kind of gratitude. And Father, help us to proclaim that to others. Help us to to be like an angelic host, to sing His praises without shame or fear, for we serve the living God. We ought not to fear men. Help us to be strong and vigilant. Help us to be courageous and long-suffering. Help us to be winsome because we were far from You and You came near to us.